0: And I'm going to get into something today that I'm going to guarantee you most of you have never heard before. There may be a few of you, but most of you have not heard this. And very few people actually take the time to break this down or even see this. I'm going to start with Luke chapter 9 in verse 3. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples about traveling out, preaching, and representing Him in ministry even while He's here on the earth. He said, He told them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Then we skip to Luke twenty-two thirty-five 35-38. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. He said, That is enough, he replied. There was a radical change that took place when Jesus closed out his ministry. The provision that had been common up until that time is about to go away. It is because there was a special dispensation of grace over the land of Israel during the reign or during the ministry, I should say ministry, of the Messiah for three and a half years. Israel had a culture of honoring God's messengers especially those who were considered to be prophets. 2 Kings 4, 8-10. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, "'I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God.' Let's make a small room on the roof and put, it in a be- or put in it a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. This kind of hospitality was unique in the land of Israel because the people had been taught and trained to receive messengers. In fact, one of the tribes uh, that bordered uh, Issachar, was so taken with the wisdom of the people of Issachar that they actually paid them to study and then come and teach them about the things of God. Now that's an unusual attitude, but this was something that happened in the land of Israel. So Jesus was able to send out his messengers two by two during the time he was here on the earth and he didn't have to give them any money. They were taken care of people received them. They they took them into their homes, and uh, they were uh, amazingly blessed. But at the end of his ministry, all of that changed. Here's another uh, mission here. Matthew 10, verses 5 and 6. Then The twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So you see, in the beginning, he confined all of the gospel preaching to Israel proper. Now that was going to change. He was going to send them to the whole world, but during that three and a half year period, Israel had the right to hear the gospel first, because Israel was the nation that brought about the law, the Old Testament, they brought about the Ten Commandments, they brought about the temple service and all of the sacrifices, and so it was only right for them to have first crack at hearing the Gospel message. And during that three-and-a-half-year period, there was an abundance of grace for that kind of ministry. Here's another place. It was a protective covering over Christ and his disciples, Luke four twenty-eight through 30. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard Jesus say this. And it was something that he said about fulfilling prophecies about the Messiah. And they got mad because they were very familiar with him. They had known him growing up. So they got up, they drove him out of the town, they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, "...in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way." Now, they had a right to reject him, but they did not have the authority to kill him. And God stopped them. Angels were there, no doubt. And these people had no choice but to drop their arms and to let him walk right through the middle of the crowd. That's what the Bible says. He walked right through the very crowd that moments before had held him and were preparing to throw him off a cliff." And so what I want you to see is there was a divine protection on Christ. In fact, there are over a dozen places in the Gospels where we read that the enemy tried to kill him. We've got storms. We've got demon-possessed people with superhuman strength. We've got a number of times the rulers were out after him. Uh, A lot of people don't realize this. Mark reports this, that when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he was there with the wild beasts, meaning there were animals out in that wilderness that were capable of killing him but they knew who he was and uh, they didn't harm him. You can read that in the first few verses of Mark 1. So Christ knew that he could die only in one place and by only one manner of execution. And so for this reason, there was a special protection over him. They did not need swords to protect themselves as they would later on. Jesus is endorsing the use of self-defense later on when they go into the Gentile world to preach the gospel because there will be robbers out there and this will be a deterrent they did not need that. This does not mean that Jesus was a total pacifist or that he didn't believe in any kind of self-defense. That's not what it means. He didn't have to have it during the three and a half years of his earthly ministry because he was set to go to Jerusalem. This is what he said, Matthew 20 verses 18 and 19. We are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So the provision that God gave Jesus during his earthly ministry, that three and a half year period, was a special grace that was not there later on. When they went to the rest of the world, they didn't have the same kinds of experiences and they didn't have the same kind of provision. Now I can show you this in one simple illustration. When Jesus was in a boat on the Sea of Galilee and a storm blew up, they woke him up and said, Master, don't you care that we perish? He rebuked the storm And immediately, the wind and the waves stopped. They said, what manner of man is this? Now, some years later, the apostle Paul was on the Mediterranean Sea, and he was in a ship, and a terrible tempest blew up. Paul did not rebuke that storm. In that instance, an angel appeared to Paul and said, don't fear, the boat is going to sink, but you will make it to land nobody will perish, all of the people on this ship will be spared, but you will be cast upon a certain island, and it was the island of Malta. Paul didn't rebuke the storm the way that Jesus did. I say that to show you that even though Paul was an apostle, there was a divine authority on Jesus for protection and for provision that you do not see later on. That's why when the gospel went out of Israel and had to be carried to other places, they had to give people money to travel because they wouldn't experience the kind of hospitality that was accorded Christ and His followers during that three-and-a-half-year period. So when we see this expression, what would Jesus do, or we hear that expression— you have to understand that there was a special dispensation of grace going on during the entire three and a half years of His ministry that did not extend after the crucifixion and resurrection. Things were different. And that could maybe throw you a curveball if you weren't really aware of that. This supernatural provision of finances that we see in Jesus' ministry had to do with the uniqueness of His mission— So no modern-day ministry can pattern all of its financial operations after the financial affairs of Christ. But here's what we are going to do. We're going to take a look at that supernatural provision. Do you realize that there are at least 14 accounts of supernatural provision for Jesus while He was here on this earth? Thirteen of them during His earthly ministry One came before that, and we'll get into that in detail and show you the three primary ways that God supernaturally provided for his son in his mission to this world. We'll pick up here tomorrow. See you then.